All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Hey, Patty, where's my hug? <laughs> Brought it back. It's like two weeks ago. All right, guys, let's get started. So we are going to finally end our series through the book of Genesis today. And uh, to do so, we must cover 13 chapters. Are you all ready for this? You all ready for this? Here we go. Uh, so that said, I'm not going to read all 13 chapters because that would be the entire sermon. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to... Uh, Walk us through kind of the narrative, and I will point out a couple of verses here and there. Um, but uh, hang on, because we got to get through all of it. But really, I want us to see one big thing that in the entire in the entire story of Joseph, I think there's one big main point, and uh, I hope that I hope that's what we bring out this morning. So um, <clears throat> we, you know, we just moved here. We got a new house, and uh, we have this nice backyard, and uh, it's just grass, right? And so when a, a new mom of her fourth baby wants to send her kids out to play and do something, the imagination only can play with rocks and sticks for so long. And so we broke down and bought us a playground, okay, from Sam's Club and, uh, you know, ordered it. it. It came on pallets and all this. I was like, yeah, this would be awesome. Big old playground, right? And um, uh, so I went to go put this thing together. And, you know, always when you buy the playground, it always gives you the option, like you can pay, uh, you know, to have someone assemble it for you. Right? And I'm like, I got this. Like, I can build things from scratch. I can put together a playground, right? No big deal. And so uh, and I, I have assembled it. It's been put together. But what I didn't realize was the amount of time that it would take to put two days. I don't mean like I worked on it for two distinct days. I mean it took two full days to put this thing together. This thing had a hundred different little baggies of bolts, different bolts, and a hun another hundred baggies of screws, and about 50 baggies of different washers, and then another 50 baggies of the, the like little nut things that the screw bolts go into, okay? And so you got all that spread out. Then you got all these pieces of wood that are all different shapes and sizes, and they've got these like stamped like A1 or H16, and this, it's kind of faded. So you get all that spread out across the yard. And so I'm reading the instructions. It's like H11. Okay, where's that thing at? It's not here. Right? You look everywhere. And then finally you find it's like it was right here the whole time. And so you finally find it. So most of your time is spent looking for stuff. But so I begin to assemble this thing and, and it's coming together and very, very slowly in about hour 10, maybe, maybe, there's an, a, a, a semblance of a structure. That is there. And I'm like, okay, all right. You know, you're seeing progress. It's encouraging, right? But, but as I put it together, I'm like, first of all, the wood, it's not like you went to Lowe's and bought some wood, you know, that strong. It's like, man, this stuff, I feel like I could just, you know, it's like cheap. I pay good money for this playground, this stuff. And then as you put it together, you look at it, it's like, I don't know this thing's going to hold up. You know what I'm saying? Like, it ain't definitely going to hold me. I ain't as little as I used to be. And so I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, there's a, a, a step where I got to, like, get up in it to do it. I'm like, I don't know. I might need a ladder. I don't know if it's going to hold me. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm just not quite sure. But then as the 
the steps continued and continued and continued and hour 20 rolls around. It begins to take better shape. It begins to be more sturdy and it holds me just fine. I've crawled all around in it. As it came together, though, it came into perspective that it was stronger than my baby's here. Did y'all hear? It's okay, Amber. You can talk all you want, girl. But as, so as it came together, what I realized, obviously, was that somebody designed this thing and someone approved this design. Someone wrote all of these steps and someone knew what they were doing all along. You see, when we look at maybe one step or two steps or three steps, you might think, this don't make sense. This ain't going to work out. But as you step back and see the completed product, you go, oh, somebody knew what they were doing. Someone knew what they were doing all along. And the same is true for us when we look at our life. You know, if you look at one event of your life or two events of your life or this tragedy or this decision or that decision, you might think, I have no idea what God could have been doing in this or that. But if you back up a little bit, let some time pass and look back, you might be able to go, oh, and to begin to connect the dots and say, now I see what God was doing. And all of the suffering and all the difficulty and all the decisions, I see that he was actually using them for good. Uh, recently, Kate and I, my wife and I, were uh, discussing kind of some of the, just the, the history of our lives. Um, now with my shaven beard, it doesn't seem like it's been that long. As all of you wanted to point out this morning, you look so young. Thanks. Patty? But Kate and I were reflecting on, you know, uh, us meeting and coming together and all of the different events that had to occur exactly the way they occurred for all these other things to play out. And it was really fascinating, okay? So, so one, um, Kate, my wife, um, had had some, tri- some stuff going on in her life, and she just went and took a trip over in Europe and uh, had come back, and she, she left. She was at North Greenville University and decided she didn't want to go back there and didn't know what she was going to do. And her dad comes to her out of the blue, out of nowhere, and says, I think you should go to Bible college and, and study ministry. And she was like, uh, no, thank you. And, and they actually caused this big fight between them, and they were arguing, arguing, and she was like, no, you know, like they do. And foot and some kind of windshield wiper motion, you know they mean business. And so she's like, no, dad, I'm not doing this. And, um, and so, but then she sleeps on it, wakes up. She's like, well, what if I did maybe want to do that? And so they begin to talk and, and say, okay, I, wanted, I would want to do women's ministry. And so where can I go to do that? And, and, and the, listen, in all of America, there was one school in the country that had a women's ministry degree. That was Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. And now they don't even have it. She was the last one to graduate with it. And so the only one. And so she's like, well, I guess I got to go there. And so she, she flies and moves and goes to Louisville, Kentucky and goes to school at Boyce College. Now me, I was um, wanting to go into ministry and I wanted to go to Liberty University. That's where I had my heart set. And um, I was way too poor to go there. And so I, I was emailing people. There was some rich dudes in our town that I was trying to like con into paying for my school. And I couldn't get anything to work to send me to Liberty University. And so I, was, I finally gave up on that door because God was just like shutting it, shutting it, shutting it. And began to look at other options. And my family, my mom is from Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, so I saw a family in Louisville. And so I thought, there's a school in Louisville. I'll go there and be with my family. That's great. 
Nothing, other, nothing spiritual about it. Just, oh, those are my family. And so, so that's where I'll go. And so I ended up going to Louisville, Kentucky. Well, as we were there, we decided, I decided to take the summer class. And uh, Kate had also decided to take the summer class. And she had a Mac and I had a Mac. And she needed a, she needed a, a charger. And uh, I was ready. And able to deliver. <laughs> and so every day I came in, hey, you need that charger? <laughs> and a lot of drama after that, we got married. And <laughs> we were standing in my kitchen uh, after we were married, and her dad was there. Her dad's a pastor, and just casually was saying, yeah, I think we're looking to hire a new children's minister at our church. Do you know anybody? Uh, and I was like, actually, I do. There's a girl at Boyce who we know. Kate and I both know her name, Chloe, and, and uh, she'd be great. And so I sent her a Facebook message, and I connected them, and he interviewed her and hired her. And then, a couple years later, she married Kate's brother, Paul. And Kate and I were just talking about all of this, all these kind of details, and if you change one part of that story, none of it happens. If I get into Liberty University and someone pays for it, my children aren't born. Paul and Chloe never get married. If Kate doesn't have this fight with her dad, if he just doesn't bring it up, she doesn't go to boys' college, we don't meet. Our kids don't get born, and Paul and Chloe never meet. If she didn't have a Mac, if she was a PC girl, it would have never worked out. It's like the butterfly effect, and you can see it in real time, right? You know the butterfly effect? If you time travel and go back in time and step on a butterfly and kill a butterfly, everything, it could change everything about the future, right? It's like you can see it. If one thing were to change, everything would be different. I would not be here today. Some of you are like, well, that'd be great. But you change one thing, and everything could change. You see, so we might not be able to tell what God is doing in this event or that event in our life. We could, might not be able to tell what he's doing this week or next week or next month or this year. But as you look back over your life, you will begin to see the dots connect, the paths, the decisions, how everything in your life has led you to where you are now. And your story is not over yet. You have not yet arrived at the grand finale, the conclusion, the happy ending, but you will. And when you do, you will see all of the pieces come together. You see, we see this clearly in our story this morning. As we look at the life of Joseph, not just a verse of his life or a chapter of his life, but summarized across 13 chapters, we will see God's guiding hand and sovereign plan and divine agenda coming to fruition. And while all the while Joseph and his family were clueless to the plans and working of God. Let's pray and dive in. Father, we pray you will bless your word to the glory and honor of Christ. Help us to see it clearly as we look at a lot of it. For it will be done in Christ's name. Amen. First, let's look at how God was working in Joseph's life. We're going to look at his entire story and connect all the dots and begin to see the hand of God at work and see what God, see that God is just as much at work in big things as in, as in little things. Okay? So we got to go through it, so keep up. All right? Joseph was one of 12 brothers, and he was the favorite. 
He wasn't just uh, saying he was the favorite. He wasn't just, oh, yeah, no, I'm the favorite. You know, sometimes in your family, you might joke uh, about, you know, your sibling, this sibling or that sibling being the favorite. We know in my family who the favorite is, right? We're very clear on that. and We, we all joke about that. Um, and uh, <coughs> Haley. Um, <coughs> and so Joseph knew he was the favorite. Uh, and so did all of his brothers. And it wasn't just a joke in their family. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, Joseph's the, Joseph's the favorite. Uh, but it was true because his father made it abundantly clear he was the favorite. He had the coat of many colors, right? Um, and it ruined Joseph. It ruined him. It destroyed Joseph being the favorite. It turned him into an arrogant, self-absorbed little brat. You remember Joseph had these dreams, right? These dreams that he was going to uh, stand here tall and proud while all of his brothers were going to bow down to him, right? Even his father was going to bow down to him. And so he went, had this dream, and went and told all of his brothers, hey, guess what I dreamed? One day y'all are going to bow to me, right? And you know why he, he, he knew he could tell them that? Because he knew that his father wouldn't let them beat him up, lay a hair, touch a hair on his head. So he goes and, and, and just this arrogant little bratty kid and tells them all about these dreams that he had. So I have a question. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you in this room were an only child? Okay, I'm only going to offend a few of you. Okay, great. Here's what's kind of happened. It's like Joseph got all of the attention like an only child, even though he had 11 brothers and at least one sister. And he acted like most only children do, except y'all. Y'all are sanctified, right? Y'all don't act like only children. Y'all are sanctified. But most, all the other only children, you know how they act. Entitled, right? You know, you know. It's like Joseph's like that. It was like he was the only child, even though he had all these siblings that were neglected. Have you ever been around a person who thinks they are all that in a bag of chips? Y'all know that saying, all that in a bag of chips? That was back in the 90s. We used to say that. But, but people, you have ever met someone who thinks that, that uh, they are God's gift to earth, right? That they, they, the ground they walk on should be worshipped. Uh, when, when I was thinking about Joseph and this, the kid, y'all remember the movie A League of Their Own? Uh, y'all may not. You should go watch it. Uh, a League of Their Own is this movie about um, when men were off to war. Uh, there was no one to play baseball, and so they create this women's baseball league. And uh, Tom Hanks, the coach, and his team wasn't very good. And there was this little chubby kid. And remember what he did? You're going to lose. You stink. And it just drove him crazy. He drove him crazy. He kept doing it. He kept doing it. He kept doing it. Until eventually he picks up his glove and chucks it at him and drills him in the face and knocks him down. And it's this great moment. It's like, yes! And that is exactly what Joseph's brothers want to do to him. Joseph is like that little bratty kid, like, you're going to bow down to me. I'm the favorite. And it's like, oh. But you see, Joseph's brothers do more than just throw a glove and hit him in the face, though that would be awesome. They do much more than that. They go on this trip, and they're... Uh, away from their father's watching eye, and so they decide, let's kill this dreamer. And they decide they're going to kill him, and then at the last minute, one of the brothers convinces them not to kill them, but instead throw him into the pit and sell him into slavery and make a profit off of his scrawny little annoying little 
Yeah. So that's what they do. They take Joseph and they throw him into this pit and they sell him to uh, uh, slave traders and they take uh, his coat of many colors that was so precious that his father gave to him and they smear blood over it and take it back to Jacob, his dad, and say, sorry, dad, but he got mauled. He's dead. They lie. And so here's Joseph now in shackles being taken away to be auctioned off as a slave. But this is not the end of Joseph's story. In many ways, this is where Joseph's story really takes off. Where the once arrogant know-it-all brat of a kid, now a slave working in the fields with shackles on his feet, men whipping him when he doesn't work hard enough, in the blazing heat, betrayed by his family, shackled and enslaved. But there is a line throughout Joseph's story a line that we see over and over and over again. Every time things begin to turn south or turn bad for Joseph, there's this line that says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. Again and again, when everything goes wrong, you'll read it again. And the Lord was with Joseph. And his steadfast love made him prosper, the text says. Do you think Joseph knew that? Like when he is there on the, on the chain gang working as a slave, do you think he believed God was with him? I don't know. I don't know if he did or not. Maybe, maybe not. But whether he saw it or, or not, recognized it or not, indeed the Lord was with him. And do you know that that's true of you? Do you know that if you are a child of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, no matter what hardships you are facing, no matter what uh, thing you are going through, And the hardest of times, you can genuinely look at your life and know in your heart, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, even when you can't see it. The text then tells us uh, that the Lord caused all that Joseph did to prosper. And things begin to turn around for Joseph. He is no longer a slave, but he rises up. He's still owned by Potiphar, but he is rising up. And now he's in charge of all Potiphar's house. He is the man running things now. He's running the show. Then his master Potiphar's wife begins to get eyes for him and wants to sleep with him. And Joseph refuses and refuses and refuses until eventually she falsely accuses him of trying to sleep with her. And again, Joseph finds himself in the pit because Potiphar has to throw him in the dungeon, throw him in prison. And so here is Joseph in the prison for crimes that he did not commit And yet the Lord was with Joseph. His steadfast love made him prosper. And so now Joseph in his life, he's been wrongly accused and rightly accused and been punished both ways. But yet the Lord was with Joseph. And because the Lord was with Joseph and he made him prosper, he rises up in the ranks of the dungeon and begins to be over the dungeon and over the prison there. And while he was there, there was a dispute amongst Pharaoh. Pharaoh there was someone was trying to kill him, and the Pharaoh didn't know who it was. And uh, Joseph gets a dream and interprets it and figures out, was it the cupbearer or the baker? And lets the Pharaoh know, and he puts the, the dude to death. And Pharaoh remembers, this guy's good with dreams. So Joseph spends a few more years there in the dungeons running things. But Pharaoh didn't forget him. And one night, the Pharaoh had a bad dream that shook him. 
And he didn't know what to do, and so he called all of his magicians and soothsayers and whoever, all these astrologers or whatever, and he comes together and says, hey, here's my dream. What does it mean? And they're all like, huh, we have no idea, <laughs> right? And he's like, what use are you guys? And so he remembers Joseph, and he goes and he calls for Joseph, and he says, hey, I remember you interpreted these dreams for me before. What about this one? I had this dream last night. Here it is. What does it mean? And the Lord gave Joseph understanding and the ability to interpret the dream. And Joseph does. He tells Pharaoh that it means that there's going to be seven years of plenty of food. But then after that, there's going to be seven years of famine, seven years of starvation, seven years of no food. And Pharaoh puts him in charge of all of it. He, Joseph comes up with a plan to save everybody in the last seven years. And so he raises Joseph up to second in command of all of Egypt, Pharaoh Joseph. He's ruling under the Pharaoh over all of Egypt. But this is not a story about one boy's rise to power. It's not a story about one boy's rise to power. It is a story about one boy's redemption. You see, at the end of Joseph's story, do you know what we find? We find that bratty, arrogant Joseph, after he's been elevated to the second highest position of all of, G all of Egypt, that his dream finally came true, and he found his brothers there bowing down to him because they were starving because it was the famine. They had nothing to eat. They came to Egypt because they heard Egypt had food, but they didn't know Joseph was in charge of it. So there they are bowing down. And they don't even recognize him at this point. They don't even know it's Joseph. So they're bowing down to this Egyptian leader begging for food. And there is Joseph. His dream has come true. And you would think after all that they did to him, that and after all the power now that Joseph has, you think the power would go to his head and, and he would rule with an iron fist and he would, he would uh, care for only himself and he would be this terrible leader and he would say, he would recognize his brothers and say, get out of here and go starve to death. You would think that's what he would do, but that is not what we find. See, something has changed in Joseph. He is no longer this bratty kid that his brothers once knew. And so as his brothers are on their knees pleading and begging for food, and they don't know it's his brother yet, Joseph reveals himself to them. He shows them who he is. And he doesn't say to them, Look at me, look at me now, and look at you. He doesn't rub it in their face. He doesn't say, you sold me as a slave, but not even you could stop me. He doesn't say that, no. When his dream comes true and his brothers are there at his mercy, at the moment that Joseph could get his revenge on them, instead, Joseph looks down in humility and compassion they had learned over the past few years. And he looks at them and he says, or, and he forgives them. He looks at them in compassion and humility and he forgives them and he feeds them and he saves them. You see, Joseph had changed. You see, all the things that Joseph went through refined him. They refined him. The Bible uses this language of refining a lot, right? Uh, refining, when you take gold and you put it into a furnace and you Heat it up, what happens? All the impurities are burned away. All of the grass and the dirt and, and the weeds that have been stuck down into it get burned away. And the only thing that remains is the gold. See, Joseph had been through the fire. Joseph had been through suffering. 
He had thrived and it had all been taken away. He had been falsely accused and rightly accused. He'd been betrayed by his family. He had been a slave. He had been through a fire of a life and the flames of his journey burned away his arrogance, burned away his pride, burned away his bratty attitude. And don't for a second think that this is just random or this is just how the story turned out or man, God can really take a bad situation and turn it for good. No, we we must see this morning, brothers and sisters, is that God planned this whole thing for Joseph's good. You see, God was using the suffering and the trials of Joseph's life to refine him by fire, to remove all of the sin and selfishness. You see what God was doing? As he was conforming Joseph into the image of Christ. He was making Joseph look like Jesus. He was slowly removing the old Joseph away and replacing him with the new Joseph, the Joseph that looked like Jesus. And that's what God is doing in our world today. God is making all things new, taking what is old, taking what is broken, taking what is cursed and the stain of sin and washing it white as snow, making all things new. He is taking you. You want to know what God is doing in your life? He is taking you and refining you to make you into the image of Christ, beautiful and holy, glorious. I love the way C.S. Lewis describes this. He says, there are only two people in the world. There are some people that if those people could see their future self, he says they would run in terror and fear. If they could see their future self, what they were becoming, they would run in fear because of how how terrifying they would be. He says there are other people that are becoming something so beautiful and so glorious and so majestic that if you could see your future self, you would be tempted to bow down and worship. And we are all becoming one of those two things. And if you are in Christ, he is making you lovely. Do you think all of these events were random? Do you think that this is just happenstance? Don't you see that this was the hand of God from the very beginning? Think about this. Think about this. If Joseph never got the dreams, Right, like if, if God never gave him the dreams of, of his brothers bowing down to him, then he would have never made fun of his brothers and talked about how they were going to bow down to him. And if he had never done that, then they would have never pushed him over the edge to kill him or then to sell him as a slave. But God sent him the dreams so that these events would expire. God sent him the dream so that it would work out just like this. You see, every little thing God had planned and God was at work, God was getting, think about this, what God had to do to make him into the image of Christ, God had to get Joseph away from his family because his father was ruining him. His father was ruining him by his favoritism. And so God had to get Joseph away from his father so that he could remove all of the damage that had been done, all of the curse in him. He had to show him what it was like to be on the bottom again and again. He raised him up only to let him fall as if to teach him that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He had to give him the ability to interpret dreams. Think about this. God created the opportunity for him to interpret the dreams in the dungeon and then Pharaoh's dreams by sending the dreams. God not only gave Joseph the ability to interpret him, he gave Pharaoh the dream to interpret. 
all of these things are not good fortune. They are not karma. They are not random. They are the author of God writing Joseph's story. And the Lord has planned every step of the way for Joseph's good. You'll, you remember that coffee cup verse, right? Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But he doesn't say all good things work together for good. He says all things, even bad things, work together for good. But you got to read it in context. Context is, y'all say this and wake up with me. Say context is king. All right, context is king. 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who are called according to his purpose. But verse 29 says, for those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed and to the image of Christ in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Don't you see? Joseph was a terrible brother. He was the worst brother. He was a bad brother. His brothers wanted him dead or gone. And the only way to make him into something worthy to be labeled as part of the people of God, the only way to make him into a good brother was to make him into the image of his elder brother, Jesus. And can't you see the end of the story where Joseph is the kind of brother we would all want? You see, Joseph at the end stands at the right hand of the king and he uses all of his newfound power not to bring revenge on his brothers, not to bring revenge on the ones that sold him and betrayed him. No, he uses his newfound power at the right hand of the king to save those who hurt him, to save those who betrayed him. Who does that sound like to you? But don't you know another man would come from the right hand of the king? Don't you know there would be another from Joseph's family that would come at the right hand of the king? who would use his power to save those who betrayed him. I think God did a good job of conforming Joseph into the image of Christ because Joseph points us to what Jesus was going to come and do. Every story whispers his name. Jesus is the true and better Joseph. But guys, we, we are like the brothers. We stand here helpless and in complete need of someone else to rescue us. We have done the wrong and we have no way to make up for it. We are at the mercy of someone else. We are at the mercy of the one whom we have wronged. They've betrayed their brother and now they're knelt down in front of him and he is the only one who can save them. Because God changed Joseph through the fires of his life, Joseph saved the family that betrayed him. See, but we have a better Joseph. In Jesus, we have a better Joseph who does not just save us by his power, but Jesus would come and give up his power. He would lay down his power to save us on the cross. Because Jesus is the brother you and I can always count on. He is the brother that no matter how arrogant or broken we are, he always comes for us. You know, I think in many ways, the most important verse in this uh, story is in chapter 50, verse 20. And it says, what you intend, Joseph is saying to his brothers, what you intended for evil God intended for good. You see, sometimes we make this theological mistake that God is a reactionary God, that, that he sees the problems or crises in our lives and he responds to them like an ambulance does, when we, like the police do. And when they call, they respond to the problem, but God doesn't drive an ambulance. 
Notice the exact phrasing of this verse. What you, the brothers, intended for evil when you sold Joseph into slavery, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. It doesn't say God turned it for good. It doesn't say God used it for good. No, God intended it from the very beginning for good. You see, though the brothers' evil act of selling Joseph into slavery, in that act, do you know what God was doing? God was sending Joseph ahead of them to save them. In the rebellious, sinful act of Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery, God was saving them by sending Joseph ahead of them. The brothers were sinning, and they did not even realize that God was at work in the rebellion. You see, in their anger, they sold their brother, but in God's compassion... He acted to save them from a problem they did not even know they had. God is playing 4D chest underwater inside out when we're playing checkers. He is sending Joseph ahead of his brothers to save them through an act of evil. He was saving them from a problem they didn't even know they were going to have. And yet God was already working to save them. Think about that in your life, guys. God was already working to save them from a problem they didn't even know was coming. And yet God was already on it. God was already seeing them through the the light at the end of the tunnel when they didn't even know the tunnel was there. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Not only was God saving them in that act, but he was also saving us. Because remember this. If Joseph's brothers die, particularly Judah, if Judah dies, there is no Jesus. If Judah in the desert starves to death in a famine, he does not have children, and his children die, and there is no Jesus. And so when God sent Joseph to Egypt ahead of his brothers to save them from a famine that would come years later, he was also saving you and me by preserving the seed of the woman in Genesis 3 who would come to crush the head of the serpent. Do you see it's one story? It's one big story, not a bunch of little ones, but God in Genesis 3 promised to crush the head of the serpent. And in Genesis 50, he was preserving the seed of the woman who would come to crush the head of the serpent by sending Joseph ahead of his brothers, through their rebellion and evil for their good to save us. God was working to save us thousands of years ago. Isn't it amazing that sometimes we doubt God? Like, isn't it amazing in our lives when things happen that we doubt God? We say, God, where are you? Like David in the Psalms, God, you're nowhere near. You're not here. I, I don't sense your presence. You're not. Uh, you, something happens in our life, and you're like, God, how could you let this happen? We don't know what to do. Isn't it amazing that we doubt the sovereign plan of God, that we doubt that God is in control and that he is good and that he is working all things for our good? See, in this fallen, broken world, God does not simply use good things, glorious and spiritual things in our lives He is planning and using the broken things, the hard things, the suffering, like James 1 talks about, the suffering produces steadfastness. He is using those hard things in our lives. He is even using your mistakes. Sometimes, guys, listen, you think you are on a plan B life because you've made some mistake, because you think you married the wrong person. And you passed up on your high school sweetheart. Sometimes you think you're on a plan B life because uh, uh, of this or that decision or this mistake or that mistake. But you are always on plan A. 
You are always on a plan A life. God is even using your mistakes and your sin for your good. Your life is not the product of random chance. It is the outcome of the sovereign plan of the Father who has pinned every footstep before you have taken it. And sometimes God is bringing trials in your life, pain in your life, but the trials and the pain never have the final word. You say, Brent, how do you know that? How do you know that the pain doesn't have the final word? How do you know that the death of my loved one doesn't have the final word? How do you know that this suffering doesn't have the final word? Because Joseph's story was not the first or the last time God used evil for good. Hear this and I'm done, guys. God took the most evil. God took the most evil, the most heinous, the most awful, the most unjust act in the history of the world and used it for the greatest good the world has ever seen or ever will see. God watched his son be perfect, live a perfect, blameless life, and yet be falsely accused, be beaten, be tortured, be mocked, that God was spit on and mocked and executed. And he took that evil, that horrible act of crucifying God, and he used it for the greatest good by defeating Satan, defeating sin, defeating death, and saving you. God uses weakness for strength. And if, think about this. If God can use the greatest evil in the history of the world for the greatest good, imagine what he can use the sufferings and pain in your life for good. And you say, I can't see any possible way that he could bring good out of this situation or that situation. But could you see any possible good out of the crucifixion and death of, of God? For three days, Satan laughed and mocked and thought he'd won when he did not realize that the act that he was laughing at was his very undoing. And that's just the way God works. You see, sometimes we can't imagine the good that would come out from the hurt in our lives. If we look just at this event or just at that event, just this piece or just that part, we we can't piece it together. We don't know how this roadmap is going to end. But I can tell you this, God is not freaking out up in heaven when suffering and trials come in your life. God is not freaking out. He's not trying to put this mess back together. In fact, he has already seen you through it. He has already walked with you hand in hand through the tunnel, through the end, through the light at the end of the tunnel. He's already walked you through and soon you will get to walk those steps for yourself. You see, sometimes you look at your life like I looked at the playground this past couple of days that I was trying to build. And you just wonder, how is this thing all going to come together? How is this going to have a happy ending? How is this going to be good in the end? And you wonder if all of your work and all of your life has been in vain and for nothing. It's all random pain. But I can promise you this, one day, one day you will see your whole story. And as you sit in the author's lap, and you look out over the story of your life, you might just chuckle and say, even when I didn't see it, God, you were always with me. Because then you will have seen that God will make everything sad come untrue. And every evil will turn out for good. Don't believe me? 
you will one day. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as the great author of our stories, knowing that you work all things in our life for good. As David wrote in the Psalms, that you wrote every step before he took it, so you write ours. And Lord's stories aren't meant to not have valleys, mountains, and trials. Stories are full of them. And God, we know that you filled our stories with hard times and difficult decisions. Pain and tragedy and loss. Dark times. But God, we pray that you would work all of these things for good as we know your word says. That just like you used Joseph's story to, to refine him, to make him new. To change his brother's hearts. To preserve the messianic line. And to save us. God, that you were working that thousands of years ago. And God, we cannot fathom what you're working in our life right now. But by faith, God, give us the ability to trust you by faith. And when we don't, when we don't believe, God, help our unbelief. We may trust that you are good and that you are authoring the most beautiful story that we get to live in. We don't simply get to watch it on a screen. We get to live the story you're telling. God, we're thankful that we can't. We love you. In Christ, and we pray all as people said. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't know the, the new life that he offers, if you don't know the author of your story, you can meet him this morning. You can come to know him and he'll take you. Wherever you're at, if you have tragedy in your life, if you have a heartache in your life, if you've got anything going on, you just want to come up here and pray, or you want to pray with these men or pray with me, or talk about joining our church, talk about what it means to follow Jesus, we'd love to do that. So stand and sing and respond how the Spirit leads you. strength of flesh and bone but in the costly wounds of love at the cross my worth is not in skill or name in win or lose in pride or shame but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. And I will trust in Him no Soul is satisfied in Him alone. As some flowers we fade and die, fame, youth, and beauty hurry by, but life eternal calls. 
sign up for the Mother's Day breakfast. Jody will be out there right through here. Go, She'll help you do that. Um, if you're our guest this morning, I'd love to meet you. Uh, I'm going to be standing right here in the back. I'd love to just come by, shake your hand, say hey, say hey to you real quick. Um, and uh, let's have a good week. A lot of Easter eggs. At some point this week, I'm going to do a prayer walk around here, and I'm going to post on social media when we're going to do that. We'd love for you to join in on that. So I'll let you know when it's going to happen. I uh, would pray for this weekend that God would uh, do mighty things in the lives Youth meeting up there. Now? Now. Peace be with you. Stack chairs.